Church, Andover Campus, in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Going into seminary, uh, you know that you have to get an MDiv, a Master's of Divinity. Uh, This is a generalist degree if ever there was one. Uh, You don't get to specialize in anything. Uh, You take like two classes in theology and two classes in preaching and two classes in pastoral care and two classes in this and two classes in that. And if you're a Methodist, you take like six classes in Methodism. Um, So you end up with one elective left out of 96 hours. Uh, I went to seminary wanting to know Bible. Uh, That was what I felt like my home church wasn't giving me. I wanted to go and study it, and my first semester just fanned those flames. I took an inductive Bible study class of Matthew, and it was the best thing I'd ever done. Uh, It it lit up my analytical brain of how to uh, kind of dive into Scripture and ask the hard questions. And uh, I took a class on New Testament introduction and learned about uh, kind of the the landscape of the New Testament. Uh, But I had a conundrum. I could only take one more class that was an elective. And so I did what any wise person would do, and I added an entire another master's degree. Uh, I added a master's in biblical studies, uh, which unleashed the floodgates of biblical studies classes. I could take anything I wanted. I took six classes with my favorite Old Testament professor, six classes with my favorite New Testament professor. I did, uh, went to advanced level in Greek and Hebrew. I took ecclesiastical Latin. I did theological German. Uh, I took a class in text criticism of the New Testament where we had ancient manuscripts and we had to like, do this mystery solving and figure out what manuscript it was. Uh, it was incredible. Crazy? <laughs> Pastor Tom said I'm crazy. It was fun. Uh, towards the end of my time, I had a couple classes left I could take. And I decided I was going to take two more Bible classes my last semester. I was going to take a class in Acts and a class in Romans. Uh, Teddy Ray, our offerings pastor, shamed me. And he said, if you've gotten to this point and you don't know how to study the Bible, you have big problems. Uh, that that kind of hurt my feelings. Uh, I'm a sensitive type, if you didn't know. That, that kind of hurt my feelings. And he said, I think you need to take more theology. You've only taken like two classes. And really, a pastor has to be a theologian. And so uh, that was kind of like a, I dare you to. And so I did it. I signed up for two theology classes in my last semester. I signed up for apologetics. It nearly killed me. Um, This class uh, is like philosophy times 10. I am not wired for philosophy. I dropped sociology three times in community college before I got my C. Uh, My mind was not wired for this philosophy class, or this apologetics class, but I got through it and learned a ton. Uh, But the other class, the doctrine of the person and work of Christ, was maybe the best class I took in seminary. An entire semester diving into who Jesus is and what Jesus did and does. Uh, It wrecked me in all the good ways, and it let me meet Jesus through my kind of analytical framework. Uh, We spent a semester looking at different ways you can understand Jesus. We started with this idea of Christology, the study of Jesus, from above or from below. We all start with some place with Jesus, right? Either we start with He's a human who's also divine, 
or he's divine who's also a human. And where you start kind of situates who you understand Jesus to be most. Uh, so uh, the 1970s gave birth to the Jesus movement and the quest for the historical Jesus. Let's, let's identify Jesus first as human and understand all we can about his uh, personhood, and then we'll overlay the truths we know about his divinity. Uh, most of us start from he's divine and, oh yeah, there's some kind of human thing going on too. Uh, you can study Christology through the lens of the various authors of the New Testament books. Uh, Matthew paints a, a picture of Jesus that's different from Mark. Luke paints one that's different from John, and Paul paints one that's different from all of them. Uh, John of Patmos in the Revelation paints a completely different picture of Jesus, but yet they're all pictures of the same Jesus, right? Uh, you can study, instead of book by book, you can study kind of title by title. You can say, let's look at all the places Jesus is called the Son of Man, and see, what does this tell us about Jesus? Uh, where are all the places he's called the Son of God, all the places he's called Lord, Messiah, Anointed One, Teacher, all these various titles, and each one of those will tell you something about Jesus. Uh, you can uh, approach it through the lens of different uh, hermeneutics. So you can approach it through the lens of uh, Latin American uh, liberation theology. Uh, what does it mean to uh, understand Christ through the lens of being in Venezuela in 1970? Uh, you can approach it through, uh, appropriately this weekend, uh, African-American lens through especially the 60s and, uh, and beyond. Uh, Dr. Cohn will talk, uh, James Cohn, uh, talks about how the white church primarily sees Jesus through the lens of Easter and the black church primarily through the lens of Good Friday. Uh, this tells us different things about Jesus even though it's the same Jesus. A feminist theology of Jesus who helps us understand uh, a picture of, of the way Jesus set women free to do ministry in ways that other men in the day were not doing. Uh, they all paint a picture of Jesus that gives us a clearer picture of who he is, right? Uh, none of these are sufficient on their own, uh, but each one gives us something different. I loved this class. Worth every bit of the $1,500 it costs to study this. I'm going to give you uh, an entry into Christology, the doctrine of the person and the work of Christ, for free today. I want you to hear today's passage again, hearing all those ways of understanding Jesus. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one about whom I said, He who comes after me is really greater than me because he existed before me. Even I didn't recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be made known to Israel. John testified, I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove, and it rested on him. Even I didn't recognize him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit coming down and resting is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this one is God's Son, the next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said, What are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher. Where are you staying? He replied, Come and see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. 
He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The riches of the Christology of John's introduction are uh, without measure. This passage uh, hits so many different ways of diving into who Christ is, right? Just even saying of who Christ is is us diving into one of the terms. We can uh, approach it through what does it mean for the Spirit to descend on him, right, in this baptism? What does it mean to bear witness? There's, there's just a, a boatload of ways to dive into what John is trying to tell us about Jesus. I am fascinated by the four titles he uses for Jesus. Uh, he, named, he, he acknowledges this man is named Jesus, but then goes on to, to do four things. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, this is probably, even if we don't use the words, the one we're most comfortable with in, in terms of Jesus. The one who came and paid the price and took away our sins, right? Jesus who died on the cross. Uh, but thinking even through the lens of Lamb is fascinating. Lamb is all throughout the Old Testament Israel story. It, it's the sacrifice for your individual sins. It's, it's definitely the sacrifice for the corporate sins, uh, and then when you get to Exodus and this deliverance from Egypt, uh, on the night that the last plague was going to hit and the firstborn of Egypt were going to die, you were to slaughter a lamb and put the blood upon your doorpost and you would be delivered. You'd be passed over from this death that was coming. This lamb literally sets you free from death. When you hear lamb after this point, you hear freedom from death. And John's first way of saying hey, this Jesus is behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't say who takes away Chad's sins and Juanisa's sins and Jennifer's sins uh, if they come and pray. It's behold Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes, the sins, takes away the sins of the world. This is a collective liberation from sin, friends. We could stop right there and, and that's a, uh, a more powerful thing than really is comprehensible, Right? Uh, we were talking about theology at our group Wednesday night, and we were trying to explain the nature of the Trinity. And, and uh, I love that Retha finally goes, it's, it's just almost unimaginable. And it is the fact that God took on flesh and became the Lamb of God who takes away our sins is incomprehensible in itself. But John doesn't come close to stopping there, does he? He's the Son of God. In baptism, I saw that he was the Son of God. Preach that just as his own thing. This second person in Trinity, the very Son of the God the Father, enfleshed for you and I. Sonship in the Bible has its own set of things that come with it, right? Sons are heirs to the whole estate of their fathers. Sons are the ones who have authority to speak on behalf of their father, and sons know and are close to their father. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, in fact, the very Son of God. This one who is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. It's the third title that John uses uh, for this people who are feeling like they are still in exile, like they're in this new exodus because none of God's promises to Abraham still are true. They're not really a nation. They're not really blessed. They're not really blessing other people. And frankly, God doesn't even seem to be in their midst. They have been waiting for a Messiah for centuries. 
sinning under Roman rule, they have been waiting for someone to come and be God's anointed. Someone to come and to offer them those promises that, he, that God had made through Abraham to set them free from this new captivity. We like to conflate Messiah with Lamb of God who takes away our sins, right? The, the Messiah has to come and die so that we can be set free from sins. But these are two distinct pictures of who the person of Christ is and the work he's done. He's taken away our sins, but he's also set us free and come as God's anointed to announce all the promises of the covenant to his people. But not only that, he's not only the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, he's not only the Son of God, he's not only the Messiah of Israel's hope, but he's teacher, rabbi. In theology group, I like to regularly ask, if all we needed was a divine God-man to die, why didn't Jesus just die with the babies? Right? When Herod was out killing babies, why didn't he just die? It'd solve everybody a lot of trouble and a lot of hurt, wouldn't it? Because it wasn't just about him dying. We read last week that the Son reveals the Father, that no one has seen God without Jesus, and he comes and teaches us what it means to be God's people. Through his uh, stories and through his healings, through his long sermons up on the side of a mountain, he reframes the entirety of the existence of the people of God. He reframes law, he reframes sacrifice, he reframes personhood and dignity, and he announces that God is actually here to set you free. It's just four of the titles that you can use to understand Jesus. And John packs them into, what, 12 verses? And I love the response. John is out here going, look, look, everybody. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's the Son of God, the Messiah, this teacher. You need to see him and encounter him. His disciples leave him behind. Andrew is one of John's disciples, and he's like, goodbye, I'm going with Jesus. And John doesn't bat an eye. He wants us to point people to this very same Jesus. This Jesus who is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This Lamb of God who is the Messiah, the Son of God, this rabbi, this teacher. I'm reading, uh, it's called The Theology of the Master Plan of Evangelism. Robert Coleman out of Wilmore wrote this book years ago called The Master Plan of Evangelism that talks about uh, the best way to grow the church is for me to go to Davis, tell him about Jesus, and then disciple him. That programs and big things aren't going to save the church, but going and introducing people to Christ and then discipling them will. And so I'm reading this book that's the background to it. It's the theology of why. And at every point, he, he introduces you to to, to God the Father, to God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to the theology of sacrifice, theology of communion. And at every point, he says, the whole reason for all of it is that people might know God and be in relationship with him once more. That evangelism, evangelism is the whole ball of wax. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the very Son of God, the Messiah of Israel's hope, this incredible teacher We should be like John, shouting that at every moment. Not with some bullhorn in some aggressive way, like, turn or you're going to hell. We should be going, Kristen, let me tell you about how my life has been changed. Uh, Emily, let me tell you about my life in ways that aren't uh, manipulative or hostile, but that bear witness to the transformation that God has done in and through us. 
And friends, if you're not at that point yet, if you're still one kind of sitting on the periphery going, what is this you're talking about? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Son of God, Messiah of Israel's hope, and the very rabbi and teacher who teaches the best. If you haven't encountered him, my prayer is that you would. You don't have to understand every bit of him. You don't have to know all these parts of him. But you have to know that God took on flesh, loves you, and wants to reveal God's face to you. I love that um, in the story, Andrew kind of leaves everything and goes and gets his brother. Come, you got to see this. got to see it. The text says he uh, led him to Jesus. Now, surely this is a physical leading him, right? The text has some uh, geospatial uh, elements to it. We, we know it's a physical leading, but I love that in our language, he led him to Jesus. I love preaching. I love Bible studies, but that's not how we lead people to Jesus. We lead them by saying, look how Jesus has set me free. This Lamb of God, this Messiah of Israel's hope, the very Son of God, this incredible teacher has set me free, and I'd love you to meet him. And then we'll do the rest. Then we'll have great sermons. I hope they're great. We'll have great sermons. We'll have incredible worship. We'll come to the table. We'll do Bible studies. But we go and we get people and we bring them to Jesus. This one who at at the same time is almost indescribable and incomprehensible, right? I love that's where we landed Wednesday night. And some of it is just unexplainable. But in other ways, it is so clear and so evident and so easy to explain that before I met Jesus, I was this way, and since Jesus, I'm this way. This thing has happened because I met this person. Friends, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the very Son of God, the Messiah of Israel's hope, uh, the most amazing rabbi ever. I hope you know him and I hope you point others to him. Would you pray with me? Loving God, in the fullness of time, you thought it appropriate uh, to create humanity in your image. And when we sinned and our love failed, you never stopped loving us. You pursued us, and you pursued us, and you pursued us. When we kept messing up, you pursued us. And the greatest act of love You took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. You did the work of redeeming humanity. You revealed yourself through your son. You fulfilled the hope of Israel and you taught us what it meant to be your people. God, for those of us here who need to see Christ just a bit more, Move in powerful ways through your spirit that we might see him, that we might know him, and we might grow in love of him. Uh, embolden us all to go bear witness to the goodness that it is to have encountered Christ, to have been filled by your spirit and know that you are God. Give us the confidence of your children to go and tell the world who you are and whose we are. Lord, send us out with a boldness and a confidence that only come through you. Where we are uh, uncomfortable, give us the peace that only comes through Christ. Where we need help, give us those friends who would journey with us and empower us and hold up our arms when we feel weak. Lord, 
You are incomprehensible, but yet we know you. For that, we thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.